Hello, and welcome back to the Dreaded Question Podcast. I'm your host, Lily Torre, and today I get to welcome one of the most multi-hyphenated multi-hyphenates I've ever had on this podcast, Elissa Nicole Trust. Elissa is an actor, a playwright, co-host of Positive Creativity Podcast, the founder of a Hava Theater Company, and a children's book author with her book, Daisy Moves to America, coming out on February 23rd. I had the pleasure of collaborating with Elissa back in 2019 when I got to direct readings of two of her brilliant plays at the Dramatists Guild. And last year, I had the honor of being a guest on her podcast, Positive Creativity. I'll link that episode in the show notes in case you want to check it out. In today's episode, we're going to talk about Ahava Theatre Company's upcoming educational programming, which is starting in March. And spoiler alert, I'm teaching a four-week course about all things podcasting. If you're interested in joining me for four weeks of podcasting fun, make sure to check out Ahava's website in the show notes for more information. And now, here's Elissa Nicole Trust's answer to the dreaded question. So, Elissa Nicole Trust, what are you up to? Oh my goodness, the dreaded question. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm going to say I'm shipping things in the first quarter of 2021. Yes, you are up to shipping things in the first quarter of 2021. (laughs) I love that. And I love how you went about saying that because it's so funny to like, I already don't like the way that I'm saying this, but whatever, we'll make it work. To incorporate sort of like businessy corporation speak into creative work. So being like shipping in the first quarter of 2021 rather than like, sharing my creative projects with the world at the beginning of this new year of creation and joy. You know what I mean? But I love it. I love the dichotomy of it because it really like brings it down to brass tacks and black and white. So like shipping my work in quarter one. Love it. Tell us some of the things you're shipping. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, I hadn't even thought of it that way. So my children's book, Daisy Moves to America, is coming out on Tuesday, February 23rd. And that had been something I'd been working on for a really long time. So that's one thing. That's an amazing thing to be (laughs) shipping. Congratulations. You are – I think you're the second person this season who is authoring a book right now. So incredible. I don't think I'd ever really had anyone on before the season who had written a book. And now I have two people. Amazing. And I would love to hear a little bit more about it before we hop into the other things that you're shipping – What inspired this book? What is it about? Who is it for? Give us the scoop. Sure. So I've pretty much been obsessed with children's literature since my first year of college. I took a children's literature course, and the final project for that class was to write a children's book. So I loved that process, and I always knew that at some point in my life, I would write a children's book or more than one children's book. Right. And then Years later, I was so random. I was in Mexico with my friend Hannah, (laughs) Hannah Talbot, (laughs) and she was driving and she said we needed petrol. And I was like, petrol? (laughs) And she said, yeah, we're low. And I was like, oh, we need gas. (laughs) (laughs) See, it's so random. And then the idea just dawned on me. And I was like, you know, it would be such a cute children's book if a little girl moves from the UK to the US and there are all these new words to learn and the kids make fun of her because of her accent. And then she learns that she should celebrate and honor her uniqueness. And then everybody is friends. And 
Hannah's like, that's really random, okay? (laughs) (laughs) So that was actually in 2015. So here we are all these years later. I have written the book and the synopsis is that this little girl, Daisy May, moves to America with her family for her mom's job, her mom's job, of course, and overwhelmed by the many new words and phrases that are different, she wants to learn to speak just like her American classmates. So the book is really just following her journey to learn that her uniqueness is something to honor and celebrate. And there are adorable little illustrations. I have an amazing illustrator named Alvin Adhi, and I'm just so excited about it. And yeah, I mean, this time has really been a time for me to reconnect with that passion because it seemed like my children's book was always on the back burner for mm-hmm. all of these years. Yes, absolutely. I think probably a lot of people listening can relate to that. And I think that sounds like such a great idea for a book. And I love the sort of organic way that it came up and the inspiration that came up for you. I think that, you know, there's so much to take from a story like that and so much that you can apply it to. And, I'm sure in the children's book market, you know, that is an important story and maybe one that's not told as often. And like I said, I think can relate to a lot of different things that children experience. So I love that. I think that's super cool. And I love that this time has allowed you to reconnect with an old hobby or passion that came up for you back in college and that you could see it through. That's incredible because I know that you are an amazing playwright and that you have written quite a few plays, which is incredible. And I'm curious how your skills as a playwright sort of fed into your children's book writing, authoring skills and where it was kind of different. Ooh, that is such a great question. So I actually think that a lot of writing and a lot of storytelling is the same. Earlier this year, I actually created an intro to children's book writing workshop for the JWS community. And now it has sort of expanded and I'm doing an affiliate partnership with a publisher based in Australia, which is so cool. Cool. (laughs) It's just so cool how those things happen. But when I was creating the class, I was like, oh, writing a children's book is exactly like writing a play. (laughs) Yeah. And, And kind of just any any storytelling really. So like you need to have your protagonist and your antagonist and your conflict and your theme, but you don't want the theme to be too heavy handed. That's a huge thing in children's literature, but it's also in plays, you know, a lot of people will write their piece based on the theme or the idea that they want to put out there. But I think that you know, having an ear for dialogue and how characters react to different situations is something that makes me a better writer no matter what it is that I'm writing, but it's also something that goes into acting. (laughs) But yeah, I think that it's the dialogue aspect of writing for children's literature that I may have been missing if I wasn't also a playwright or that might have been a little bit more difficult for me. And one of my big dreams for the book is for it to be a musical one day. (laughs) Yeah, that would be so awesome. Yeah. So I don't know. It all just sort of goes together. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it so often does with with our creative skills and our non-creative skills. But hearing you talk about it is making me think that 
I feel like for someone writing like a novel or a play, anything like a longer form, I feel like a really good exercise would actually be to write a children's book version of it because I think if you can explain something that succinctly but also clearly, oh yeah, then you can expand it from there. But I think the impulse is often to be like too verbose and go on too long about it. And so I feel like that would be a really cool exercise. Oh, yeah, definitely. A hundred percent. And, you know, they say that one of the best ways to learn a language, a new language, is to speak to children. And I, I think it's the same with children's literature. Like, I remember being in a doctor's office. This is so random. But <laughs> I picked up, just because I love children's books, I picked up a children's book and actually it explained something about like blood infusions in a way that I never really understood when I read it in adult literature. But because it was so succinct and so specific, it was like, oh, okay, now I totally understand that thing that I never really fully grasped before. That's wild. What a crazy book for kids. <laughs> That's amazing. I love yeah. that so much. And congratulations. It's a, This is a huge accomplishment and milestone in your career as a writer. And I'm so excited for you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm really excited too. Okay. So before we went down the children's book rabbit hole, you were sharing with us all the things that you are shipping in Q1. Yes. Okay. So this isn't really something I'm I'm shipping, but there is going to be a Zoom production of one of my plays next week at Pond Connections. And I'm so excited about it. And this is the most hands-off I've been in any sort of production of one of my plays just because really I've been busy with the book. So I'm just really excited to kind of go and enjoy it and, (laughs) and have that experience. And I'm still pursuing whatever acting and voiceover work I can as much as I can. It's it's not a lot right now, obviously, but sure. still doing that. And of course, launching the educational programming for a theater company is pretty much the other big, big project that has been on my mind for a really long time that I am finally shipping <laughs> in the first quarter of 2021. That's a lot of things. There's so much I want to discuss. I don't even know where to begin, but I think I'm going to just quickly touch on the Zoom reading of your play because I have been thinking actually a lot about – so as we're recording this, the episode of the Long and the Short of It podcast with Seth Godin recently came out. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't heard it yet, listeners, I'm going to link it in the show notes. It's a great episode. Definitely go check it out. And In that episode, spoiler alert if you haven't heard it, Seth talks about that one of the best ways to be an actor is to be a writer and to write your own work. And I inherently feel a lot of resistance when I hear that. There is a part of me that is like, that finds it deeply unfair. Everything that is expected of actors. And now on top of everything, we also have to be extraordinarily talented playwrights. And it just, I don't know, I feel a lot of resistance. But then I think of people like you, who you are a writer and it is something that you do and it seems to be something that you enjoy. And so I guess that's what I'm interested to know about first is like, 
if you feel any resistance about that and how that works for you. And I'm also curious what the experience is like for you once you've written something and then you're in it as an actor and so your role kind of shifts. And then also now what it's like being the writer of a play that you're not involved in and so you kind of have let go of the reins. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for asking that. I have to say, even as a playwright, I had a lot of resistance around that too. <laughs> I So for me, writing is as big is a very big part of my artistry. And I'm a playwright because I love to write plays and not because I'm an actor that wants to be in plays. Sure. And so I think therein lies the problem is that there are some people that where they would really just be writing as a vehicle for their acting. And there is nothing wrong with that at all. I'm sure that that's how a lot of people end up realizing that they love to write and how many, many amazing scripts are born. But I do feel like the same way that you do, that it's like a lot to ask. We already (laughs) have to have so many, like now we're what, quadruple threats? And, you know, I, I don't love the term threat either. But yeah, I mean, so to touch on that, a little bit. Basically, like I wrote my web series years ago and acted in it and then was sort of like, oh, well, I guess if I don't like the roles that are being written, then I could just write them for myself. And that felt very empowering. Yeah. But the part that I don't love as much is having to get my work out into the world. I'm not as interested in self-producing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I guess it just becomes like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I'm answering this well at all, but I guess let me start with my first play. So my first play, Observance, is about a non-religious Jewish person who studies abroad in Israel and then becomes religious while she's living there. And that was just a concept, an idea. It, the concept is called a Ba'alat Teshuvah is, or a Ba'al Teshuvah, a non, non-religious non Jewish person who becomes religious. Mm-hmm. And that was something that I thought about all the time. And it was always on my mind. I always wanted to talk about it. I always wanted to learn about it. And I did so much research and spoke to so many people. And so when I wrote the play – and it was being done for the first time, I was like, oh, well, I want to have that experience. Like this this thing is so yeah. close to my heart that I want to play that role. If somebody else wrote a play about, about Al Teshuvah, I'd be like, oh my God, I have to be in this. <laughs> right. Yes. You know? But actually, I found it really hard to juggle at the stage that we were at, which was a developmental stage. It had its first production at Fringe, New York City. And I was really struggling. Like I would be on stage and I need to be present in a scene and would be like, oh, I kind of want to change that line later. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, I think that I got better as time went on. And then another one of my plays, both of these, which by the way, you directed so beautifully in (laughs) readings at the Dramatist Guild Music Hall, my play, I Am My Beloveds, I was like, you know what? I'm going to take a step back and I'm going to play a really small role. Mm-hmm. And I want to really just enjoy this as a writer and be able to listen as a writer. And it was when I did that that I was so nervous about all of it. Like I was nervous about the acting. I was nervous about the play, how it was going to be perceived. I knew that we were having this little talk back after. I was nervous about what people were going to ask me. And so the problem was that I, I 
couldn't really focus on any of it. And I just decided that in the developmental stages of my work, I don't want to act in it. And then when it becomes a production, if that is even an option for me, then (laughs) that's something that I, that I would be interested in, in visiting because yeah, on the one hand, like I feel so empowered about being able to write women that I identify with that are Mm -hmm. complex and have agency over their lives and just, I don't know, like that, that's really exciting. But, but for me, it it is a lot to juggle. And so back in, I guess, October or November, somebody from Planet Connections Theater Festivity, where I had one of my plays a couple of years ago, reached out to ask if I had any 10 minute plays. And I was like, no, I don't know how people write those. Um, (laughs) I, (laughs) I was like, but I do have a couple new full length plays and I would be honored for you to do them over Zoom. So, so I applied and she loved it. And so that play, Rat, Remote Access Trojan is having its presentation on Tuesday, January 26th. So I know this episode will come out after that. I was like, no, I want to see what other people do with these characters. And also, so there wasn't really a character in it that I was super right for, to be honest. You brought up a lot of actually really good points. Like something I hadn't thought of as sort of an issue in the idea of being a actor who writes their own work is like, then you're limited to only writing things that you can see yourself in, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it just feels oddly sort of limiting in a weird way. And I should also disclaim I love Seth Godin, and I think that he is brilliant, and I'm sure there are many degrees to which he is correct and whatever, but I still felt resistance, and I wanted to unpack it with someone who knows what they're talking about. So thank you for indulging the question, and I'm glad that you felt some resistance too as someone who does that, and I also want to say that as someone who directed two of your shows that you wrote that you were also in, I thought you navigated that really beautifully, and I can see how and why it would be a struggle, but I thought you did a phenomenal job. And I also felt like I had to navigate that and kind of say like, hey, can I speak to Elissa the actor right now? And like, can I speak to the playwright right now? Like it was, you know, waters to navigate to make sure that I wasn't stepping on toes. And, you know, you always made me feel like I had the freedom to to give whatever feedback I wanted. So I really appreciated that. And I can see a lot of ways in which that could have been difficult. And yeah, it's it's also really important to acknowledge that like that is asking a lot of one person though to set those boundaries for themselves and to be able to fully show up in both of those roles as playwright and as actor. And you know, I I don't think that that's really something that people fully understand when they say, "Oh, just create your own work, write your own work." Like that's that's the key to success. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. So first of all, I just want to thank you so much. Working with you as a playwright and as an actor is such a gift. But honestly, as a writer, I I mean, you are like a dream director because you're so insightful and you pulled things out of these pieces that I knew so intimately that I hadn't even thought about, but were totally true. It was so cool. Oh, thanks. (laughs) Yeah, and also I also love Seth Godin. I'm and I I think he's brilliant. But yeah, I think it it's a lot to ask people to be to be both. Yeah. And then like if I want to act in things that aren't just things that I write, then it also mm-hmm. feels a little limiting. 
Yeah, definitely. And I think that, you know, if the meat behind that question is create your own opportunities, I think there are more ways to do that than writing your own work. You know, I think of people like Priya Mahendra, who I think of as being a great example of someone who finds ways to create opportunities for herself without writing her own work because it's just not something that really interests her. And I think that there are important distinctions that if playwriting doesn't interest you, then find other ways to create your own opportunities and not wait for the gatekeepers to say yes. But I I definitely feel the resistance to the idea that being an actor means you also have to be a phenomenal playwright. A hundred percent. I completely agree. But I still love you, Seth Godin. Not that you're listening to this podcast, but like, I love you. (laughs) Totally should. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you so much for helping me unpack that. I think that was really amazing insight. And I am just bursting at the seams to discuss the amazing things going on with Ahava Theatre Company. Tell us. So Ahava Theatre Company is a new New York City-based theatre company that aims to bring great Jewish plays to life. We look to tell stories about Jewish culture, history, and philosophy that spark conversation, break barriers, and challenge the status quo. We are a community of artists that is dedicated to representing all sects of Judaism in a positive light. So We have a monthly reading series that is coming back, and that is just reading a play that embodies our mission. Prior to COVID, it was we would just read in the Dramatist Guild Music Hall or in my living room and just (laughs) read a Jewish play and chat about it. And so that is coming back and will be headed up by my good friend and podcast co-host, Lauren Scheffel. And we are also going to be launching our educational programming, which I'm so excited for. And also, I have to credit you, Lily. So when we were doing the readings of Observance and I, My Beloveds at the Dramatist Guild, and I had mentioned to you that I was looking for a partner for a Hava, you said, do you know Mara Jill Herman? And <laughs> I said, no, I don't. And, you know, I, I listened to her episode of TDQ and we got to know each other through Statera Arts, which is a mm-hmm. mentorship program that I just completed in the summer. And Mara and I are building out the educational programming together. So you were 100% right that she would be the perfect person for Ahava. She's amazing. So, oh my gosh, that thrills me. But yeah, I mean, I just... I was a teaching artist for a while and I taught Hebrew school and I just really think that it's important to have continued Jewish theatrical experiences for children and I really want to empower, educate, and inspire theater artists to tell Jewish stories and I know that all sounds super general but those are just like the my kind of like the why I'm doing it or we're doing it and so It's going to be, you know, we're still developing it at this time when I'm speaking to it, but some of the ideas are, you know, dance classes, cooking classes where you would learn how to create traditional Jewish foods, monologues, music, singing, history of Jewish theater, playwriting, and The goal is to have classes that are mostly geared towards children and some that are specifically Jewish themed. But then I also want to do other stuff that you can just 
get anywhere, but sort of do it under the Ahava name. Like for our inaugural month, we're going to have a podcasting class taught by you, (laughs) which I definitely want to talk more about. And I just forgot to say like the most important thing, a playmaking class where children will like learn music and get to create their own 10 minute Zoom plays surrounding a holiday. So we're launching in March. So that will be Purim. And then April is Passover and Mara will be leading that up. And I also forgot another really important thing. (laughs) We're also going to be doing a children's book reading series where every week we read a Jewish-themed children's book to a bunch of kids. That's so cool. Thank you. Yeah. So I'm really excited about it. And yeah, I wanted to make sure that every month we have like a couple of offerings that are for artists and that are not necessarily Jewish themed. So when I was thinking about it, I made a list of like what we could possibly offer. What do people need? What do people want? And I just thought that a podcasting class would be so perfect because, you know, people are always asking how to start a podcast and there's so much information out there, but sometimes you just want like concrete steps and you just want to take something and have it just, I don't know. I, I sort of feel like I could have used a four-week class before um, I launched my podcast, Positive Creativity. And obviously, I thought of you first as the perfect person. And when I brought it up to Mara, she loved the idea. So we're really, really excited about that. And I think it'll be a really cool opportunity for people to ship their podcast ideas. (laughs) Yes. I am so excited about this, obviously. I think it's going to be so much fun. And I think it's such a great idea, especially in this time where a lot of people are finding the time and courage and passion to start a podcast. I have sort of a unpopular opinion that the world always needs more podcasts. A lot of people will say like, oh, there's over 750,000 podcasts out there. Like, why should I start one? And I just really believe that it's such an incredibly unique medium and that everyone should (laughs) have a intentional, personal, unique podcast of their own. And I also think that so many of the skills that come with podcasting are incredible skills to have so that even if someone took a four-week podcasting class and then was like, I don't think I want to start a podcast, I really still don't think it would be a waste of their time. I think some of the technological skills that people learn, the interview skills, the listening skills. There's so many valuable skills that go into podcasting. And I think it would be valuable even without a podcast. Yes, I completely agree with you. Yeah, I'm very excited about it. I think the other programming that you're offering, all of it sounds amazing. I I love that earlier you were like, 10-minute plays? I don't know how people do those. And then you're like, we're doing 10-minute plays with these kids (laughs) about holidays. (laughs) Well, Mara is going to do that. But also, um, (laughs) it's it's more like, you know, creative playmaking for for kids. I love that. Again, like going back to the idea of – People creating their own work. Like I I love the idea of letting kids, you know, so often theater programs are helping kids put up pre-existing shows, but I love the idea of letting kids lend a hand into the creation process. And, you know, if that's gonna be the future of acting, is that actors need to be playwrights as well, then like <laughs> this is a great start. <laughs> right. And actually when I think about 
the whole idea for educational programming through Ahava Theater, I actually think about you and this podcast because mm-hmm. you sometimes have said that the dreaded question is for college Lily. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Ahava Theater's educational programming is for little Elissa. <laughs> Yeah. Like everything that we're offering, everything, you know, and we're not going to offer it all at once. Like I I don't think we're going to be able to offer everything I said starting in March. Just sure. not possible right now as a young theater company. But I think that little me would have like loved a class like that where you get to just learn about the holidays and learn music and create your own play about it and meet other people. And, and yeah, and just have – as a child, I had positive Jewish – experiences and positive theatrical experiences, but never both in one. Yeah, that's so cool. And I think also the potential for those stories to be shared with a broader audience as well is really exciting because, you know, I think about growing up in South Carolina, there were like, I think literally two Jewish people that I knew in my school growing up and we did not have Jewish holidays off. I didn't really know much of anything about any Jewish holidays except a very like peripheral understanding of Hanukkah. And so I, you know, I think back now about how alienating that must have been for the few Jewish children in my school and how you know, misunderstood they must have felt and how hard it must have been for them to take days off of school for Jewish holidays and not have anyone understand where they were and to have to come back and feel like they were catching up and missing things. So I feel like it would have been so helpful if if all of us had a better understanding of what those holidays were about. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. I do think I want to say that with everything we do with Ahava, we're welcoming people from all walks of life. And that goes for any class we're teaching, any reading we're having, any, you know, when we eventually start doing real theater. But but I do think it's really important for children and for everybody to have a community where they feel like they belong and and then to get those stories out into the world. You know, there has been increasing anti-Semitism in our country in recent years. And Ahava Theater is sort of, I I just think that the more that we can do to remind the country and the world about, you know, Judaism and Jewish people better. And Ahava Theater is sort of my tiny contribution to help fight for a more peaceful existence for Jews. Yes. I love that. That's such a beautiful why and such a beautiful mission. And I'm, I love the way that you're going about it in a very you way. And I very much support the idea of creating something for your, your child self. I think that, as I've said many times on this podcast, that that will help your work resonate with as many people as possible because it's inherently human and relatable because it's based on a human experience, which just happens to be your own. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, so we talked about shipping a million things. We talked about creating your own work, and we haven't really touched on yet another thing that you have created and are also in the process of shipping, which is your podcast, Positive Creativity Podcast. Tell us all about it. Yes. So Positive Creativity is a podcast where my co-host Lauren Schaffel and I speak with actors, writers, directors, 
and other artists about what they're working on, what's inspiring them, and how they stay positive in the entertainment industry. And we are finishing up season two right now, and we will start recording season three later this winter. And we've recorded, I think, 27 yeah, 27 episodes at this wow. point in the past year. And I it's been such a joy and such a pleasure. And I love all of our guests so much. You were on it, of course, and you are so close to my heart. And yeah, it's been incredible. I have gotten so much joy out of starting this podcast and I've learned so much and I'm very energized to continue. Yes. I mean, what a great way to feel about something that you're working on. (laughs) And I'd love to know more about where the idea for positive creativity came from. Sure. So I had really just been really into learning about writers. And whenever I would see a play or something, I would think like, I have to learn where the writer got that idea or I need to learn more about them. And I would try to look for podcast interviews with them and try to read any interviews that they had. And so I just became very curious about writers. At the same time, a couple of other things were going on for me. So one thing was that I had realized that I really had no network and no community. I didn't Mm -hmm. study theater in college. I studied journalism and I often felt like I didn't know a lot of people in the industry. I felt like I started late or later mm-hmm. than other people. And I just wanted to know more people. Yeah. <laughs> so that was something that had been on my mind a lot. And then also, it was a very frustrating time in my career. I had felt like I'm sure all artists can relate to this, but a couple of things that would have been really exciting ended up falling through. And the agent that I was working with, you know, we had sort of a dysfunctional relationship, which is totally on me too. But I was really frustrated with that. And I, I was starting to get down and I thought, like, how do people stay positive and keep going in this business? That's so disheartening. And so I just wanted to learn about writers and learn about how they stay positive and learn about how they keep going with all the rejection and all of the difficulty in this business. And then I thought that a podcast would be a really great platform to do that on because first of all, I'd started to get into voiceover and I just needed an excuse to use my mic as much as possible. So there was that. (laughs) (laughs) But also, you know, podcasting is very, very inexpensive to create and it's free to consume. So I thought that a podcast would kind of take care of all of those things. It would allow me to expand my network because I would be reaching out to people, telling them how much I like their work, and then asking them to chat with me. And then and then I could ask how they stay positive and what's inspiring them and learn a little bit more about them and what inspired their work. And I sort of knew that because I have a lot of different projects and I'm working on a lot of things that I wanted some accountability. So I wanted a co-host situation. And I asked my friend Lauren Schaffel because she's so positive and mm-hmm. just so lovely. And we definitely see, we share the same values and see the business in the same way. And I felt like she would be the perfect person to be my co-host. And I knew that she was also looking for a project. And so 
Then when we sort of started planning, I think she's an incredible writer, actually. She's a beautiful writer, but she doesn't really identify herself as a writer or a playwright. So he was interested in speaking with other types of artists, actors, directors, casting directors. And so we were like, okay, great. So it'll be even broader. That's even better. And I'm so glad that she did that because we've spoken to so many incredible artists and not all of them are writers. And I'm really glad that we don't have that limiting aspect to our podcast right now, even though right. I, I still think that's a great idea for a podcast. But we start every episode asking people what's currently inspiring them. And that has been such a great question. Yeah. Because I end up being inspired by what's inspiring all our (laughs) guests. And honestly, the podcast became even more relevant in the pandemic because it became even harder to be an artist and it became even harder to stay positive. The world is awful. And (laughs) getting to just hear about what people are doing and how they're getting through it has been really, really helpful. And I'm just, I'm really proud of it. I think I've learned so much and we made some mistakes at the beginning in season one that we sort of corrected in season two. And now we're talking about our season three and I'm just so, I'm just so happy with it. (laughs) That's wonderful. I mean, it's, it's so great to feel that way. And I, I think that's what can be so unique about something like podcasting when it comes to creating your own work is that, you know, writing a play or a web series or whatever it is that you're writing is amazing and it's more permanent or finite in the sense that you know once it's written it's completed and that is what is out in the world but a podcast while that's true for the individual episodes the seasons and the stories that you're telling can evolve and change and like you said you felt like you you had made some mistakes in season one so you were able to sort of pivot or course correct in season two and now you can kind of explore what you're going to do in season three and I think that sort of living breathing element of a podcast is what's so fun and unique and special about it and that one of the the benefits of having a podcast that I don't think people talk about as often that you brought up is it's a wonderful opportunity for connection. It feels amazing to reach out to someone that inspires you and whose story you want to share and ask them to be on your podcast. And most of the time, people are really flattered and really honored to be asked to be on a podcast. So I I think that's such a great point. That it's a wonderful vehicle for connection. And if that's something that anyone listening right now is looking for, I definitely think a guest style podcast can be a great way to achieve that. Definitely. Yeah. And even the people who have said, actually, I'm not doing podcast interviews right now, or no, I'm I'm not interested, or I'm not available right now. People really appreciate when you express gratitude and tell them that your work means something to them. So that's been really special. And I do just want to mention, because our name is Positive Creativity Podcast, that we're not really here to be promoting toxic positivity in these really challenging times. I definitely think, especially with season two, it became sort of more like real talk creativity podcast. But, you know, we always try to keep it positive, a, a little bit in alignment with with our mission. But, but yeah, I just want to mention that because I feel like sometimes people are like, oh, I'm not feeling very positive in this moment. And that's sort of not the point. <laughs> yes. But I think I, I appreciate you bringing that up. And I think that's very real, especially in these times, a lot of people are talking about toxic positivity. And I think it's a very real thing. 
And I feel like inherently by having a podcast called Positive Creativity, there's sort of an inherent acknowledgement that sometimes it's not all positive, that, you know, there are dark times, there are difficult times, and it's not always easy to be an artist or to be a creator. And so not that you have to purely focus on the positive, but that it's important to remind ourselves that there are reasons that we do this. There is positivity in creation. And while the the hard parts, the the political industry BS and all of those things can really weigh us down and get to us, inherently there are reasons that we became artists that are positive and beautiful and that sometimes we just need reminders of. Definitely. Thank you so much for that reframe. I really appreciate that. And yeah, like of course you go into it because you love it, but then once it becomes your job, it, be, it can become really hard. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I yeah, I think the work that you and Lauren are doing with Positive Creativity Podcast is really important, like you said, especially now when it's not a given that <laughs> there's joy in creation and when it can be hard to see the the light in being a creative person. So I just love everything that you're working on. I'm so excited for you. I think that clearly 2021 is off to an incredible start of sharing so many of your brilliant ideas and so much of your brilliant work with the world. And I'm just so grateful that you took some time to chat with me about it today. Thank you. Thank you so much. I so appreciate this. It's been such a pleasure. I love TDQ and I've heard every single episode. So it's really cool to be a guest. And of course, we loved having you on Positive Creativity. And yeah, I'm really excited for you to teach a podcasting class through AHAVA. I think it's going to be totally brilliant. I'm excited too. Thank you so much. I truly don't know how Elissa does so much and makes it all look so easy. It's truly a gift, and I admire her so much for it. I'm linking Daisy Moves to America in the show notes. I'll definitely be pre-ordering it for my niece and nephews. If you want to join me for Ahava's four-week podcasting course or to participate in any of the other classes Elissa mentioned, make sure to check out the link to Ahava's website in the show notes. And if you're interested in getting involved with the Hava Theatre Company, make sure to reach out to Elissa as they're actively seeking collaborators for their leadership team as they build out this amazing new theatre company. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode as much as I did, and I hope that you'll share this episode with someone who's undertaking any of the numerous things that Elissa is up to. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Lily Torre, and this has been The Dreaded Question.